As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today to discuss some U.S. men's national team is a man whose club situation is not up in the air. So unlike many other names we're going to be discussing today, he will be involved with the Gold Cup. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, glad you were able to get things sorted at club level so you could join up with me today. (laughs) Oh, yes. I, I'm playing for the most prestigious club you could ever imagine. I won't be announcing it on the show. My yeah. agent has a whole thing planned. It's going to involve mm-hmm. fancy cars and mansions and whatnot. You, you know, Taylor, you get the idea. But yes, that's all sorted so I can be here with you to talk soccer. I appreciate that. I hope you've practiced your, uh, your juggling, your keepy-uppies for our European <laughs> listeners, uh, because that does tend to be a thing that for some reason makes or breaks entire careers, if, <laughs> if you can juggle in your unveiling. <laughs> Uh, I, I can. My juggling is a little rusty at the moment, but I will get that Uh-oh. all sorted out before my announcement because that is genuinely like really one of the worst things I could imagine from a career perspective. <laughs> I, this is all kind of ridiculous yeah. and it doesn't really matter. But you go out there in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of Real Madrid fans in their stadium, right? And you're being introduced and everybody's cheering and then you start to juggle as a professional player yeah. and you just can't. It's probably the one time out of a million times that you drop the ball on your third yeah. juggle. But man, that's got to hurt your pride so much, Taylor, so much. It feels very much like like a lose-lose-lose situation because either you you go very basic and maybe you make a mistake here or there and then that doesn't impress or you're too flashy but that opens up the possibility that you're going to miss control and that will be a problem. And then I think if you're overly flashy, if you do way too much, then the question's like, is he too much of a flair player? So, Joe, I'm glad that you don't even have to worry about that. We're in an audio format so people don't have to concern themselves. For people who have found us during the Euros, they might be a little bit confused why it's only uh, you and me today. No, no Graham or Ryan because... 
because we do on the Total Soccer Show tend to spend a lot of time talking about the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team, the various youth national teams as well. Uh, so if people are unfamiliar, that is a big part of the show and will be a big part of the remainder of our summer because we've got the men's team participating in the Olympics. We've got the women's team, or excuse me, the men's team definitely not participating in the Olympics, but participating in the Gold Cup. The women's team qualifying for the Olympics and participating there. We're going to talk about that as that tournament comes up. But right now, Joe, we're going to do some Gold Cup conversation because we have a roster. It was released last week. We did not talk about it. Uh, Felipe and Paul did over on Allocation Disorder. I've listened to that. I've listened to a few other things. I've read some stuff. I'm guessing you have as well. So shall we talk roster? Oh, let's do it, Taylor. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I know this is a little bit of a weird tournament for the U.S., and it's just on the back end of the Euros and the Copa America, and then the Olympics are probably going to overshadow this because the U.S. women's national team is just better and more fun than the U.S. men's national team. That's Hmm. just true right now, especially this group. But still, I'm so excited to have games and to be able to dive into what's happening on the field, talk about players, learn more about some of these players that we maybe haven't seen a ton of or at all uh, with the U.S. men's national team. I'm just, I'm ready. Let's do it. I am as well. But before we dive into it, we should probably talk about the kind of basic idea of this particular roster. As you said, it is not as exciting as maybe other rosters we've gotten in the past because of some strange situations, some strange outliers in a compact schedule, meaning we're not really getting anything approximating our A team, our B team. This is definitely a a different sort of U.S. roster. Joe, I think you had it broken down into two or three categories in terms of the players who will not be there. Sure. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, this is a 23 man roster. 19 of the 23 players are in Major League Soccer. Four guys then coming from abroad. But the way I've kind of looked at this group is it's missing two key categories of players. So the first category that's not here, that's not on this roster, is the Christian Pulisic category. So that's the big guns category. No Pulisic, no Giorena, no John Brooks, et cetera, et cetera. Those players aren't here because Berhalter wanted to give them a rest. Essentially, that's my read on this situation. That was always the plan. A lot of those guys played in the Nations League uh, in the tournament. There and it ended up being a four-game window or a three-game window if you're Christian Pulisic or Zach Steffen because they had the, the Champions League final right as the U.S. was playing the first friendly in that four-game stretch. But either way, those guys have played a lot of soccer. They played a long club season, very compact, compressed schedule. Then they go right into a window with the United States. It's time for a break. So that's why a lot of those types of players aren't here. The other category of players that aren't on this roster, at least as I see it, is the Brian Reynolds category. It's players who are not with this group, not with this U.S. group, because they're sorting out club situations or they're trying to impress coaches I call it the Brian Reynolds category because he has to impress Jose Mourinho over at Roma. Beralder specifically called out Reynolds in his uh, press conference after this Gold Cup roster was released, saying we kind of know that Jose Mourinho doesn't like to play a lot of young players. We want to give Brian Reynolds the best chance he has to be able to go and actually break into that team. So no Brian Reynolds, no CCV, who's sorting out his club situation over in England, most likely. No Luca De La Torre, who I believe The Athletic had an article uh, about him wanting to stay in preseason there in the Netherlands. So there's a few other players in that category, but no Brian Reynolds-type players, really— or at least no players in that category and no big guns in this group, really. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And I I almost had that category broken into two different parts. There's sort of the 
players who have moved or recognize this as being a, a very important season in terms of where they go from here in their career. So they're not going to be involved. And then there are players who haven't figured out that contract yet. Ethan Horvath yeah. would be one of those. We're not yeah. quite sure where he's going to end up. I think last I read, he was strongly linked with Fulham. But I think Berhalter maybe wanted to give those players who, many of whom have had a, a difficult season prior to this one and lots of games, giving them a little bit of a rest, but also giving them that time to kind of sort things out there. Another one that we I saw a few people asking about, I would put in... Somewhere in one of those two categories would be uh, Julian Green, who, uh, 26 years old, still still a youngster, uh, but Grutha Firth, his club team, will be in the Bundesliga next season. Uh, Green, uh, for his part, had said he wanted to play in the Gold Cup. He wanted to be in consideration because I think he wanted to be then in additional consideration for World Cup qualifying. But Berhalter, I think, wanted to give him the opportunity to have that preseason to be prepared for a what is going to be a difficult Bundesliga season for a relatively small club, uh, Grutha Firth. So I think that tells us that Julian Green, not involved here, but likely will be involved in some capacity in World Cup qualifying. At least I would hope that's the case. But yeah, so we're going to talk about a few other names as we get to the different positions. But basically, if there's a player not involved that you think should have been, Greg Ber- Berhalter almost certainly agrees with you, but chose not to call them up or or could not call them up, <laughs> even though he did have full license to do so. He could have called up anybody. It's a FIFA window. He had that right, but I think he didn't want to frustrate too many clubs. He didn't want to frustrate too many players, with the exception of Atlanta United, who he wanted to frustrate <laughs> uh, supremely, is, is my takeaway. Uh, I appreciated Paul Tenorio calling that one out on allocation disorder. But Joe, with all that said, should we talk positions? Oh, let's do it. Do you want to start with goalkeepers, Taylor? That makes sense to me. Uh, we've got three of them. Uh, we've got Brad Guzan, Sean Johnson, and Matt Turner. We had more on the provisional roster, but here are our three officials. I am pretty unclear as to who will start. Uh, Brad Guzan is obviously the veteran. Sean Johnson has been playing recently for the U.S. in in various forms, in various games. Matt Turner, sort of the unknown quantity, but also the known quantity, the greatest goalkeeper alive, uh, and certainly the greatest goalkeeper alive who uh, played for the Richmond Kickers in the not-too-distant past. (laughs) Uh, But only one cap, so maybe not likely to start. But Joe, do you have thoughts on who you think might start or who you would like to see start? Yeah, I think my answer to both of those questions is the same person. I do think it is Matt Turner. He's not having his best shot-stopping season in Major League Soccer right now, but his, you know, his not best season is still better than a lot of other goalkeepers in Major League Soccer. So he and Brad Guzan are both saving more goals than expected right now, according to their their goals and expected goals conceded numbers. Sean Johnson, not so much, but what Sean Johnson and Guzan bring that maybe Matt Turner doesn't bring is distribution. And I don't necessarily think that's Matt Turner's fault because Bruce Arena doesn't really care about playing out of the back and he doesn't really care about tactics. He just had some epic Epic quotes from uh, the Revs 3-2 loss to Toronto FC last night that came out. They're floating around on Twitter. Go look those up. But uh, Matt Turner still, regardless, because he even though he doesn't end up passing the ball short or passing the ball terribly often, he is still that next-level shot stopper historically over his MLS career that just Guzan and Sean Johnson aren't. I'd rather have Matt Turner in the U.S. pool, to be honest. This Gold Cup is a chance for Peralter to evaluate kind of the bottom half of his player pool and figure out a handful of guys that will be on that World Cup qualifying roster with the big guns category of players that aren't here. If you think, okay, the U.S. goalkeeper depth chart right now is Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath in no particular order, I think I'd rather have Matt Turner as the third guy fighting for minutes with the first choice group over a guy like Brad Guzan or over a guy like Sean Johnson. But I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if it goes a different way, but Turner is the guy here for me. 
Do you know, I, I think you've made a couple of critical points there. One that I probably should have hit upon earlier, which is that this roster does seem very much geared towards building out that back half of his final roster for World Cup qualifying, potentially for the World Cup. I think we know a lot of the names that will be on there uh, pending, pe- pending fitness or injury concerns. But aside from that, we do have a few positions where we're not quite sure who will be the starter or who will start where. And then we have a few positions where we're not quite sure what the depth will be. So I do think this roster, this tournament can help Greg Berhalter get some answers to some of those questions. But I think with that in mind, we're also not going to see a wholly experimental team here. Berhalter himself said in a press conference, we don't want to look at this as an experimental team. We want to look at this as a team that can compete to win the gold cup let's be really clear with that so with that in mind i think you're right that we're not going to see them uh just sort of abandon the building out of the back the goalkeeper passing and being involved in possession uh in favor of just going long every single time because why not let's try something new it's what worked for barnsley so why don't we try it Uh, i think we will see sort of similar patterns similar approaches and then burhalter will evaluate who can do what and with that in mind i think it makes sense to give matt turner at least uh, a start in this opening round, uh, if not all three starts, because we can see how does he handle distribution? If we have a team that presses, how can he handle that? If we have a team that sits off, does his distribution get better? Does he pick out more dangerous opportunities? Uh, And then just how does he do as a fundamentally as a goalkeeper in terms of his shot stopping ability? So it's sort of the type of thing where I'm not going to be too disappointed if it's Johnson or Turner, less so Guzan, but I think either way, we're going to have some competition there, and I'm with you that I lean Matt Turner, but I also won't be surprised if it is Guzan or Johnson, or if there's a kind of rotational aspect of things. Joe, it sounds like to you, you would just like it to be Matt Turner for at least the group stage round. Yeah, I'd, I like it to be Turner for as much as many games as possible in this tournament. But that said, if it is Sean Johnson or Brad Guzan, I'm not going to go burn down Soccer House in Chicago or anything, right? I'm not like I'm not totally uh, bothered about this, but I'd like it to be Matt Turner. Yeah. All right. All right. So Joe would like it to be Matt Turner. Let's talk defenders. There are eight of them. Greg Berhalter was very kind with this roster to just make it, in my mind at least, pretty logical. We do have some players who could do a number of different things, but we have eight defenders, and I count it as two right backs, two left backs, four center backs. Uh, Joe, is that about where you are with that one? Yeah, no, that's that's right where I am. And James Sands really is the guy that could straddle a couple of different spots Mm -hmm. here. But on my roster that I wrote down, I have him in the center back pool just because that's where he's listed. And typically, I think Baralter has been pretty accurate or U.S. soccer is pretty accurate with where they put guys. And and that usually gives us an indication of where they're going to play. But Taylor, for us to talk about these, is it I think let's start with the center backs, the four there, and then maybe we can move to right back and then left back. Does that work for you? That works for me. Okay, so center backs, the four options as we have it. Walker Zimmerman, Donovan Pines. Walker Zimmerman's from Nashville, SC. Donovan Pines of DC United. Miles Robinson of Atlanta United. And James Sands of New York City, FC. Taylor, what do you make of this group? Obviously, a lot of the first choice center backs not here, as we've discussed. Are there two players that you'd like to see start in the middle of what we are guessing will be a 4-3-3? But, I mean, it could be a 3-4-3 with a third center back in there. What do you see from these uh, from these center yeah. backs? Um, I, it's, it's a strange thing to call Miles Robinson a veteran when he has, I think, three caps total for the U.S. Yep. national team. Uh, but I would say it's sort of broken in my mind into two veterans and then uh, two newbies. We'll see what they can do. So I do think it'll be Robinson and Zimmerman as that starting pair. I think it will be Pines and Sands getting minutes and maybe getting a start if things are locked up before that final game uh, against Canada. Uh, and I do think it's it's Robinson Zimmerman, and I'm okay with that because with Aaron Long's injury, Matt Miazga could be uh, the part 
partner for John Brooks. It could be Chris Richards. Matt Miazga has to figure out his club situation. Chris Richards has to do the same. That's why both of them aren't here. Richards, last I saw, was training individually or by himself for Bayern Munich, which means uh, most likely he will get another loan, I'm guessing, back to Hoffenheim. So I think we have the two of them and and several other ones, Cameron Carter-Vickers as well, trying to figure out what's going to happen with them long-term in their clubs. So they won't be involved. Instead, we will have Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman given the opportunity to really show that they belong and can impress and should be uh, in more consideration when World Cup qualifying comes around. And I think that makes sense to me because you want your center backs to be stable. You want them to be uh, like performing well, obviously, from a defensive side, but also getting involved in the attack on set pieces. But fundamentally, you just want them to have a good relationship. And I think the more reps you can get with two center backs playing together, the better. So I think it makes a lot of sense to kind of... uh, if not literally, but figuratively handcuff Robinson and Zimmerman and get them a lot of minutes in the opening games. Yeah, I'd like to see those two guys together. As a quick aside, I think Chris Richards might be training by himself because he's still rehabbing from that injury uh, he had. But also maybe Julian Nagelsmann has just banished him to the corner. That makes more sense. I, I like know. your answer better because otherwise it's just <laughs> like, yeah, we don't need you. Get out of here. <laughs> but either way, he's not He's not with this group. I, I think I'm with you, Taylor. Walker Zimmerman, Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson seem like the first choice guys. Berhalter said of, of Robinson at least that he's brought in to be a starter in this group. So he has expectations for Miles Robinson. I really want to see James Sands somewhere, sometime, some position in this tournament because I think he's just such an important part of NYCFC under Ronnie Dyla. He can play as a center back in a three, in a two, or as a number six. He's just a real defensive presence. His passing has improved exponentially over the last season of the last 18 months maybe for NYCFC. He's a guy I really like and I hope gets minutes somewhere. I don't, though, really see him disrupting that center back pairing that we've discussed with Zimmerman and Robinson. I think really Zimmerman and Robinson both have a ton to gain in this tournament because I see center back for the full pool and for the World Cup qualifying roster. I see that as a position where one of these guys could sneak in. Maybe two of these guys could sneak in, depending on who's healthy. Is Aaron Long going to be healthy? Is Chris Richards going to be healthy and available? I, I, I don't know the answers to those questions. So really, John Brooks is the guy. And then there's room after that. Maybe Matt Miazga is involved there. There are names and there are spots open in this center back depth chart. And I think Zimmerman and Robinson with good tournaments, maybe even Sands there. I'm not, I'm not as high on Pines as I am on the rest of those guys. But there's room for one or, one or two of these players to be involved in September for World Cup qualifying. And a good performance could get somebody there. I agree with everything you said, and my final point on the center backs would be that I'm excited to see where we do end up seeing James Sands, even if it's for only a few minutes here and there as like a late substitute, because he feels like a player to me that Berhalter is bringing in, obviously for depth, but also to see where he fits in and where he shines the most. And I think that's where we won't get to see it, but it will be training, it'll be practice. And so if he comes in and does replace, let's say, Jackson Euler, Kellen Acosta as that number six, that tells me he was kind of thrown into the deep end in training and it looked okay, so why not try him for a few minutes here? If we see him as a center back, that doesn't necessarily mean that the number six experiment didn't work, but it means to me that Burhalter is sort of fine-tuning, scratching out some possibilities and circling other ones when it comes to James Sands. That would be my hope, is that we're getting sort of towards Burhalter having a greater understanding of the specific ways in which he can use a player like Sands while also uh, getting the depth ahead of him all the more solidified. And it's it's kind of a shame to me that we haven't seen James Sands before because 
he's the type of player that I want on a World Cup qualifying roster because he's positionally versatile and, and really all players are because they can do a bunch of different things on the field. But he has a lot of experience even as a young player. I think he just turned 21. He has a lot of experience playing as a center back or as a midfielder. And that brings a ton of value on a World Cup qualifying roster, on a World Cup roster, any roster really. And I think that's huge. And also he is just this tough, strong defensive player. He reads plays so well. He can pressure the ball. He's great at winning the ball quickly once he is pressuring the ball. And then he added that little bit of passing ability to his game too. And it's a shame that we haven't seen him with the U.S. until now because we could have already learned at some point. I know 2020 was almost a lost year, but from 2019 somewhere to now, we could have learned that James Sands might already be a better option than Jackson Ewell. And we don't know that right now. And so I, I just have this feeling that we're going to keep seeing Jackson Yule. We're going to see Kellen Acosta, which Acosta I don't really have a, a big issue with. But it just feels to me like we wasted time that we could have been seeing James Sands and maybe he would have been a, a really strong option for World Cup qualifying in the fall. But now it seems really unlikely that he makes that jump so quickly. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would add, I, I think Burhalter mentioned in that same press conference that he had wanted to call in Sands for the January-February friendly for that camp, but uh, I think he was still recovering from injury or wasn't quite up to the level of fitness, so he didn't want to take him away from his club where he could just be kind of getting the minutes and training he needed. So that said, that's only like for that one camp. There are other opportunities we could have seen him, but hopefully we get to see him this time around. We've talked about the center backs. We'll talk about the rest of the defensive pool in a moment, but first... First, we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe, we are back. We've talked about our four center backs. We've got fullbacks. Let's go to the right side where I have it as Reggie Cannon, pretty much nailed on to be the starter with Shaq Moore as the deputy. Uh, I've got Sam Vines starting at left back with George Bello as his uh, backup, and then probably both uh, Moore and Bello likely to get a start here or there, and certainly some minutes as we go through the tournament. Uh, does that all check out with you? Yeah, that totally checks out for me. I was I was kind of intrigued going through watching Shaq Moore film because I've seen a lot of Sam Vines and Bello at left back in Major League Soccer. We've both seen a lot of Cannon with the national team and then with Dallas and now Boavista. Shaq Moore is a guy that I, I didn't forget about because he has one of the best names in this whole darn pool, but I yes, hadn't seen him in a while. And I went through and watched film of him with Tenerife in the second division in Spain. He kind of just reminds me of another version of Reggie Cannon. He's 24. He's about the same age, a little older than Reggie Cannon. He plays kind of conservatively like Reggie Cannon does. He can get up the right side, but he's not lightning fast. He's a pretty solid 1v1 defender. He doesn't light up the, you know, light up the, the film room as you're watching him, but he does a lot of things pretty well. And so I'd, I'd still see it as Cannon more in that order, especially because Cannon is one of the core guys for Berhalter, it seems. And I think he'll be on that World Cup qualifying roster where Shaq Moore probably won't. But I, I think it's kind of funny that Berhalter just found a Reggie Cannon clone to bring into this group, too. <laughs> I, it's, it is also strange 
to hear Reggie Cannon, who himself has talked about being a veteran and then realizing yeah. he's only 22 <laughs> and how weird that sounds. To, like, I totally have it in my mind that Reggie Cannon is the crafty veteran and Shaq Moore is the youngster trying to prove himself. And you're totally right. Shaq Moore is the older of that pairing. It's also strange to me that with all the uncertainty that we've already talked about with this squad, with the roster as a whole, and the uncertainty we'll talk about as we go further up the field, this does this kind of back line as we have it, Vines, Robertson, Zimmerman, and Cannon, feels like the strongest part of this team that like going into this gold cup we've got uh, what Haiti Martinique and Canada uh, it is going to be a weekend team but I think with the depth that the U.S. does have and with that back line I am slightly less apprehensive than I think I would have been before we started doing the research for this show uh, I don't have much else to say about the defense Joe any other uh, points you wanted to bring up I am, just quickly, I'm excited about the left-back battle because I, I think it's very likely that Reggie Cannon starts yep. and I think it's pretty likely that Sam Vine starts. But I wouldn't be shocked to see Bello work his way into the lineup at some point. I, I think Baralder's made a comment about how those two players, Vines and Bello, are going to battle in camp. So that one could yep. go either way. Bello's a little bit more comfortable combining inside. He does a ton of that under Gabriel Hinze with Atlanta United. Vines, I think, is better staying a little bit wider. He can tuck in still into the half space, but he'll stay wide and he can whip in a gorgeous ball with that left foot. They both have room to improve 1v1 d- defensively. Vines, I think, is a little bit better. But either way, Vines has the nod for me here, but I'm excited to hopefully see both of those players in this tournament. There's a a strange level of competition when it comes to the fullbacks. As you mentioned, Vines and Bello for that left-back spot. Burhalter has definitely talked about how he wants that competition to kind of elevate the performance and see who uh, really solidifies their spot as the number one left-back in this tournament. But in my mind, there's also Reggie Cannon factoring into it because Serginho Dest can play either left back or right back. If Reggie Cannon has this sort of standout electrifying tournament where he is the best performer for the U.S., then maybe that means Reggie Cannon moves further towards being the starting right back and sure, Serginho yeah. Dest becomes a left back. But if it's Sam Vines tearing things up or George Bello doing the same, then we have even more questions in a good way. So I like that this does give us uh, like things to talk about, things to pay attention to. But it's not quite the, like, we have no idea what's going to happen here, so I sure hope somebody uh, figures some things out. I do think that left-back spot is one of the more open when it comes to the U.S. team uh, and is obviously heavily dependent on where Serginho Dest plays. But I, I too, am pretty excited for the Vines v. Bello battle. The fact that we can't look at the U.S.'s right-back and left-back depth chart independent of the other position is just so frustrating to me. It's like I'm so (laughs) glad Serginho Dest is playing for the United States because I love watching him. But he has just thrown this gigantic wrench into my brain's ability to think about how soccer is played. It, it, I don't know. I, like, we can't think about this tournament without thinking of Dest, and we can't think of Dest without thinking of Cannon and Robinson and Yedlin and Vine. It's just, it's too much, Taylor. It's too much. I'm going crazy. All right. Then let's talk about the midfield. Let's move <laughs> further up. And again, I think we have it sort of clear that we've got six midfielders. I think we've got two pretty obvious number sixes, and then we've got four candidates to be that hybrid eight slash ten. We could see some fluctuation. We could see some variation. But I have it starting with those number sixes. I'm just pausing for a moment to let the building wrath hopefully subside before I say that it's very likely to be a battle between Kellen Acosta and Jackson Ewell. I know that will make Twitter very, very angry. And I'm not sure I disagree with Twitter fully because neither of them is able to do fully the job that Tyler Adams can. But that's, I would say, because Tyler Adams is the most irreplaceable player in the roster or in the U.S. pool as a whole. So Kellen Acosta, Jackson Ewell will do their best. Best, but I think we're still going to see them doing 
a rough approximation of what Adams does, which will require other midfielders, other players around them to do a few different things than they would have to if Tyler Adams were in there starting. Yeah, man, I think I'm I'm trending towards Twitter's side. That's that's extremely hard to say. I, I'm trending towards where Twitter stands on Jackson Yule. He was just Triple not team. good in the Nations League, right? He just he yep. wasn't. And you and I talked about that against Honduras when he started in that game. He didn't really bring the one thing that he was brought in to bring, and that's his passing ability. He wasn't incisive with his passing. He wasn't aggressive with his passing. He wasn't effective with his passing. And that's what you want with Jackson Newell. We talked about it before. He's kind of more in the Michael Bradley mold where you bring him in for his passing, you bring him in for that diagonal ball, whereas with Tyler Adams, you bring him in for that defensive presence and his connecting ability. He doesn't break the game open with his passing, but he'll win you games defensively. Jackson Newell didn't live up to his end of the bargain in the Nations League, and I'm a little bit worried that he's going to come back into this group. He's going to start these two games at the start of the group stage against Haiti and Martinique, and he's going to look good, right? Because it's, it's I'm not... I'm not trying to discredit Haiti and Martinique, but that's the kind of game that Jackson Yule should be able to thrive in. Against a weaker team, he'll be able to ping passes and he'll look good, right? That's the idea. But I think the issue there is everybody would look good. Anybody would look good. James Sands would look good there. Busio would probably look there, look good there. Acosta could look good there. But I think Berhalter's fallen into this pattern a little bit. And I don't want to be too harsh to Berhalter here because I think he's done a fairly good job. But with this personnel and group, I think he's fallen into the pattern of thinking, okay, this is a team where we're going to dominate the ball. That's time for Jackson Yule to shine because Tyler Adams isn't available. He's going to go ping passes and he's going to start the next game. And it's just a vicious cycle. I'd rather see Acosta. I'd rather see Busio even. I think either one of those two guys could play that sixth spot and do well and just give us something different there, at least give us data. But I'm not entirely sure we're going to get that data, Taylor. I'm not sure we will either because uh, we're going to talk about Haiti later on in the show and what they're likely to do. One thing jumping ahead a little bit that I did notice is I did not see them uh, in their games against Canada high pressing with a particular intensity. And that absolutely favors Jackson Ewell. Uh, flipping back to my notes in that Honduras game you mentioned, Joe, I have a couple of different times Jackson Ewell just being a bit too ponderous on the ball, taking a little bit too long, taking a few too many touches. On multiple occasions, I have Tyler Adams plays that faster. And not saying that he'll necessarily be punished in these games, just that that is a type of thing that he'll like a luxury that he will have against Haiti that he won't have in World Cup qualifying, potentially. Certainly, if the U.S. goes to the World Cup, he won't have it there. So what I would like to see if it is Jackson Ewell starting and if it's Kellen Acosta, both of them, is not necessarily playing down to the opponent, but playing the way you would if you were playing a team that was going to high-press you. I want to see those midfielders moving the ball faster. Certainly, we'll still see those diagonals, and maybe there'll be a moment where he has some time to pick his head up, wait for that run to happen or that play to develop, and then play the ball into space. But I just don't want to see it be, oh, I've got time, then I'm going to take a touch and take another touch and put my foot on the ball. When the U.S. starts to slow down that rhythm and play into the opponent's preferred tempo, that's where I think we we get kind of pulled into fights that we shouldn't be in. And if the United States can keep the ball moving and keep pulling the opponent apart and move it from left to right and right to left and forward and back, I think it opens up much more space, many more opportunities for attacks and for individual attacks, but also for that midfield to kind of play as a cohesive unit. So my hope would be that if it is Jackson Ewell starting or if it is Kellen Acosta, I lean Kellen Acosta at this point between those two. Uh, I, what I would like to see is them do as good of an approximation of Tyler Adams as they can, but especially so when it comes to keeping that ball moving quickly with one and two or three touch passing, as opposed to five seconds of dawdling and then playing it back to a center back. 
Yeah, I really would rather see Acosta play that six role, but I think this is an important moment for us to mention. It could be a two-man midfield instead of a three-man midfield, right? Mm. We kind of saw that against Mexico in the Nations League final, where it looked a lot of times more like a 4-4-2 or a 3-4-3 rather than a 4-3-3. And we've seen the U.S. do that in the past under Greg Berhalter, where they switched to more of a double pivot. So it's, it's possible that maybe Jackson Ewell doesn't fit one of those double pivot roles as well. And we see Acosta and Leggett or Acosta and Busio or that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what that combination is. But we could see a different permutation than what we're talking about. But either way, Taylor, if it is that single six, I'd rather see Acosta there probably more than any other player in this midfield group. Good memory, Joe. This is why I take my notes the way I do. This is why I keep them all in one notebook, because flipping back to that U.S. game against Mexico, for a minute I was about to disagree with you because the U.S. were in a back three for that one, but I have written in bold, again, multiple times, USMNT in a 4-4-2 defensively, especially late in the first half, and it was Weston McKinney alongside Kellen Acosta. So you're absolutely right. We might see that sort of midfield pairing, especially from the defensive side. So, Joe, how does that impact what you think Berhalter will do with the rest of the midfield, where we have Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, uh, Jean-Luc Abusio, and Eric Williamson? Yeah, it's still easier for me to think about it in terms of that three-man midfield. But if it is a two in a 3-4-3 or in a 4-4-2, which, again, I think is less likely than the 4-3-3, just to be very clear. If it's a two, I think you pair either Acosta or Busio, two guys who have a little bit more mobility than Jackson. or I mean, they're not naturally more mobile, but they're better at covering ground and winning the ball, especially Acosta. I think you pair one of them with one of the three de facto number eights. And so that's Legette for the Galaxy Roldan for the Seattle Sounders and Eric Williamson for the Portland Timbers. I, I'm really excited about Williamson. He was snubbed off of that Olympic qualifying roster. We know how that went for Jason Christ and that group down in Mexico. But he brings so much on the ball. We talked about him on this show before. He drives forward. He can pull out a nice slaloming run through midfield. Really, really effective dribbler in central midfield. If it's a, if it's a double pivot, I think you pair one of those three guys with Acosta probably. If it's a, if it's three in midfield, you take either Yule or Acosta, maybe Busio at the six. And then I think Legette is a likely starter, like a very likely starter. He was in that Nations League roster. Berhalter knows him. He trusts him. He's one of Berhalter's guys at this point. Roldan's coming back in after some disappointing U.S. performances in the past, but he's been very, very good for the Sounders this year who are undefeated in Major League Soccer. So he could get a look at uh, at one of the eight spots, maybe even in one of the winger spots, tucking inside because he's kind of doing that for the Sounders right now. And then Williamson is the other option there. So I, I really won't be bothered regardless of which players play the eight spots if it is that 4-3-3, but I would really like to see Williamson probably next to Legette in front of a six. All right. I, I like that idea. My sneaking suspicion is that it will be maybe Yule or Acosta, one or the other, and then it will be uh, Legette as the eight slash 10 and then more of a 10 on the defensive side, staying a little bit higher uh, with Christian Roldan or Roldan. I still got to figure out how to say that properly because <laughs> I have a feeling it's not Roldan, uh, but who knows? Uh, I, have, I have a feeling it will be him doing more of the defensive work. And I know, again, that's a player that tends to get a lot of negativity, especially on social media. I understand why that was the case, especially in the past. And I understand, especially if people are primarily watching him for the U.S. national team, because I don't think he looks as good for the U.S. as he does for Seattle. And part of that is just because there are 
higher quality players around him when it comes to the national team. Part of that is because he does different things, more important things, and has more regularity with Seattle so that you can see him shine. But this season, he has looked so good in the games that I've watched him play that I'm excited to see Christian Roldan. And that's not a thing that's been the case for me pretty much ever. But this time around, I think for what he's done at club level, I'm excited to see how that translates to this current Christian Roldan in this current national team. Me too. He's totally earned this call up, right? He's been bad with the U.S. in the past. He has been, and that's that's okay. Yep. But I mean, this is what you want, right? With a with a group that's not necessarily the first choice group. It's a chance for players to come in and prove themselves. Christian Roldan has the opportunity opportunity to do that. He's earned it with the Sounders playing very well for them this season. I, I don't have any issue with him getting a call up. I don't necessarily want him to start every game, but if he does and, and looks good, that's that's fine. That's totally fine. Yeah, and I think this is where the Berhalter, like this isn't an experimental team quote, is important to remember, but also important to not take as sort of ironclad, this is how it's going to be. I think you're right, Joe, that we'll see Christian Roldan start a few games, but I also think we'll see Eric Williamson get minutes as a substitute and maybe start one one or two of those games, more likely one. Uh, but I think it's important to see what he can do. Can he play as the number six? Can he play as the number eight? Can he do a couple different roles when asked to do them? I, I think when the U.S. is playing, Playing an opponent that has more technical ability and more attacking threat than they're going to face in the group stage. That's when maybe we'll see them go with that sort of central pivot, especially defensively. But I think when they expect to have more of the ball and to have a little bit more dominance in terms of the attacking play, that's where I think we will see that that single pivot in a 4-3-3. But I'm with you. I hope we see plenty of Eric Williamson and plenty of Jean-Luc Abusio because that will not just give us an opportunity to see a player who hasn't played for the U.S. yet, but also him, lest we forget, eligible for Italy. Uh, at least there may be some other ones in there. There's a few different players who could be cap-tied in this tournament. Julian Araujo not being one of them. Uh, still el- eligible to play for the United States and Mexico. Sounds like he hasn't fully made up his mind, but is not involved in this squad. Joe, anything else to say from the midfield before we talk about our forwards? No, let's let's move up a line, right. shall we? And, and I'll I'll take the wingers here. I'll start on the right side of what <laughs> the will wingers, quote be, unquote. Can we say yeah, the the wingers, quote unquote? So there's really there's mm-hmm. really two out and out wingers in this group: mm-hmm. Paul Ariola, DC United, yep. and Jonathan Lewis from the Colorado Rapids. It's likely that Paul Ariola is on the right side and Jonathan yep. Lewis is on the left side. The yep. two players that Berhalter called out as the other options are very much not traditional wingers. So the first one no, is Nicholas Joachini, who plays for Khan. We've talked about him on the show before. He already has three caps for the U.S. He a lot of the times plays as a nine. He's done that for the United States in the past, but he's also played in the right wing spot for the U.S. already, and he's done that for Khan as well. So I can understand why he is in this group in that right winger depth chart. The other guy, so the fourth quote-unquote mm-hmm. winger in this group is Matthew Hoppy, who is not a winger, although he's played there occasionally, I believe, in his youth days. With Schalke, he plays as part of a front two. In every game, I believe, that I watched him play for Schalke, he played as a number nine with someone next to him, and, and he would often be the player. Hoppy would be the player who runs in behind. So maybe that running in behind skill is enough for Beralter to think, okay, this guy can play on the left. I don't know. This is the area that I'm most concerned about. Where is the creativity coming from, from the front line? It's not coming from Areola. It's probably not coming from Jonathan Lewis. I don't think it's coming from Hoppy or Joachini either, but uh, I would love to be proven wrong. The only thing I can think, aside from just Berhalter, had limited options. I mean, Chris Mueller would like a word, uh, but maybe it's that Matthew Hoppy will start as a left winger, but with the United States expecting to have more possession with opponents sitting deeper, 
I'm I'm thinking maybe the idea is either Hoppy goes central alongside whomever starts in the middle, cough, cough, Daryl DK, uh, and that lets uh, the left back, likely Sam Vines, be very attacking down that left-hand side wide, and that is the wide threat with Hoppy moving central. Maybe it's Sebastian Legette drifting to the left, like partnering with Sam Vines, and you've got two out wide, and again, Hoppy goes more central and functions as a forward who then tracks back slowly to the kind of left wing, left midfield position defensively. That's the thing that makes the most sense, because otherwise, from what I saw, I'm with you, Joe. He doesn't seem like a player who necessarily has the technical precision with that first touch with the dribbling ability and some of his passing vision to play wide and look like a seamless player versus playing where he's a bit more familiar. So it'll be very interesting, especially if, say, Jonathan Lewis isn't able to start or picks up an injury or something like that, how they change things up or how they make things work, because that is one that feels a bit like, ah, yeah, Hoppy can play left. Why not? We'll see what happens. Well, and it's also tough because I don't I don't think Jonathan Lewis is a super good soccer player, right? I, he has one goal this season for the Colorado Rapids. That's about Rapids. as scathing mostly, as Joe can be, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying, I'm trying, Taylor. He comes <laughs> off the bench for Robin Frazier and the Rapids, but Baralder yeah. likes him, right? Baralder likes him. He was involved in his first ever camp with the U.S. back in January of 2019. He's a player who I think Baralder likes to see come off the bench, and so that's that's the tricky part because if you bring Jonathan Lewis off the bench as a super sub in this tournament then you're probably starting Matthew Hoppy. Maybe I'll reiterate, you could move Legette forward to that left wing spot. He's going to tuck into the left half space anyway. He's played in areas like that before. He would do okay there. Roldan maybe could do the same thing on the right. So there are some other options deeper down in this roster that could do the the winger tucking inside thing that I think Lewis and Hoppy will do. But uh, that left side is especially puzzling to me because Lewis isn't really a starting player for the U.S. in any capacity with any roster, but he kind of has to be here because there's there's no other options. My my last thing, Taylor, with this group is just this this position group is the one that I think is is the shallowest in in one sense, but also the deepest in another sense because. The best four wingers, the, the four wingers that are likely going to go to World Cup qualifying, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Brendan Aronson, Tim Weah, maybe Jordan Morris if he's healthy and ready. So that's five. Everyone after that, Paul Ariola is the only guy who I think has a chance of being on that World Cup qualifying roster and factoring in to, to hopefully a World Cup in 2022. Joe Acchini, Lewis, and, and Hoppy, I don't see as being involved there. And so we might have to suffer through some tame attacking play just because this position group is already sorted. And I think it's one of the strongest areas in the pool, but just not at this level of the pool. And I want to focus in on a name you just said there, because I think the player that is maybe most missing out that I am saddest not to be with this group is Jordan Morris, who's obviously still yeah. recovering. I think I saw just returning to like very light and limited training. Nice. Uh, but it does feel like he would have been the player to get the automatic start in one of these wide positions, would have been a consistent goal threat, and maybe would have continued to prove some doubters wrong, uh, prove his lovers right, and and sort of further solidify his potential role in World Cup qualifying and heading towards that World Cup, ideally. But with him not being able to participate, I am just sort of sad when I remember that he could be because I think he would... I think the the players that are able to score goals for this team, I think that is going to be 
one of the shortcomings. I think there's going to be a lot of one no wins and tight games that maybe shouldn't be that tight. And I think Jordan Morris would have made such a massive difference to this team that it's sad he won't be there. I look forward to him being back, but I hope the players who do start there, who do get minutes, uh, uh, shine brightly themselves and prove their uh, value for this team both now and going forward. Yeah, that's really well said. I would have loved to see Jordan Morris on this roster. He would bring a lot of what is lacking in this this winger pool for this particular roster, but I, I just wish him the best continuing to rehab. And hopefully, Taylor, hopefully we see him pretty soon for the U.S. men's national team. Agreed. We'll take a moment of silence to think about Jordan Morris, but also to hear from some advertisers. Then we'll be back to finish out this roster conversation and talk a little bit about the USA's first opponent in the Gold Cup, Haiti. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe, we've got 10 of the 11 positions more or less figured out, but we have not yet talked about that center center forward who I am expecting to be Daryl DK, though we might also see Giassi Zardes. Uh, and I think I would much prefer Daryl DK because of everything he has done, obviously, with Barnsley. Uh, but then even going back to Orlando and and you're like sort of seeing the way he is able to function in a completely different team, but still look like such an important player. I would like it to be Daryl DK. But this is also a scenario in which Yassi Zardes like does the things that Greg Berhalter, Berhalter wants him to do. And maybe there's an argument for the familiarity and the consistency there. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, so I want to see Daryl DK. I, I would love to see him in this tournament, but I really want to see him in one specific game in the group stage, and that's Canada. 
right? Because hmm. Haiti and Martinique, we've talked about, are, are, are just not as talented as Canada. Canada didn't bring Jonathan David. But besides that, it's pretty much, as far as I can tell, it's pretty much a first-choice roster for John Herdman. They have yeah, Alfonso they Davies, they Davies have, and that means they're yeah. automatically very, very dangerous. Exactly, right? So, so even though Canada played some World Cup qualifiers while the U.S. was busy with Nations League, they still brought in a lot of their first-choice guys and, and some of those European-based guys that have had the same long seasons that the, the U.S.'s big guns have had. So John Herdman brought in a strong group. And I want to see Daryl DK go at the best team in this group, and that's Canada. We've seen him against Costa Rica back. Shoot, Taylor, was that May, June? I don't, I don't remember at this point. But in the friendly after the Nations League, we saw DK. If it and wasn't he in the good. last month; it was ten years ago, Joe. That's exactly. how it works. So we saw Daryl DK ten years ago, and he looked really, really good. <laughs> even as what a ten-year-old, I think he was still yeah, like that. just a phenomenal that's, that's player. Hurtful. And then we saw him as well in January camp this year. I think that was his first cap for the U.S. Oh, no, uh, maybe maybe the end of 2020. Doesn't matter. I want to see DK against a good team. Canada is a good enough team for, I think, uh, for us to get a data point on him. I'd love to see him against Haiti and Martinique as well. I think he'll probably get one of those games. Zardes will get the other. And if DK doesn't bomb in training, we'll hopefully see him in that Canada game. And that, that rotation with DK getting two games in the group, Zardes getting one, that would make me very happy. Yeah. So, Joe, who do you think that this position, the number nine spot, is the one that is most wide open? Because we talked a little bit about the left back spot. We talked about the other center back spot alongside John Brooks. Even the sort of backup goalkeeper position is pretty open. But for the player that's going to start up top, lead the line, score the goals, be that threat... (sighs) Maybe it's Josh Sargent, maybe it's Daryl DK, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe Clint Dempsey comes out of retirement. We throw him up top, see what happens. Uh, I, it feels like I really don't know who it's going to be. And even in this squad, it might be Daryl DK, it might be Giassi Zardes, because he's been there before. He has the sort of veteran reputation. I think he has the most caps of anybody on this team, second only to Brad Guzan. So I could see Giassi Zardes, and it wouldn't frustrate me that much because I still don't think we've seen one player come in and make it their position, and from now on, it's going to be that person until it isn't. It feels like it has just been, yeah, it might be him, it could be him. Oh, that guy scored. Oh, Giassi Zardes scored off his face. Okay, I guess that's good. I don't really feel like I have a good enough read on any particular player to say they should or should not be starting. The nine spot is wide open. It's so okay. it's so open. I think, Taylor, your Clint Dempsey idea is great. Let's just tell him there's a lake in the 18-yard box yep. and, and give him a fishing rod and we'll call that good. <laughs> He'd leave the CBS set in no time. We would not have any issue with that. But DK, DK is a guy who has a chance in this tournament to really cement his spot. And it's hard because I have to fight myself. We can't read too much into the group stage, especially those first two games. I know I'm going to want to. Taylor, I'm, I'm sure you're going to want to as well. But it's it's hard. So DK goes out and scores six goals in the opening two games. I think we still have to cool our jets a little bit. But yep. no matter what, if he shows well in this tournament, that helps his case. It just does. It helps him get closer and closer to cementing his spot as that starting number nine. Right now, I think it is between Josh Sargent and Daryl DK. Zardes maybe on the fringe, on, on the outside of that competition. I don't think Josie Altidore is in there. Iowa Canola is playing for Canada. Jesus Ferreira could be, but he's not even in this Gold Cup roster for maybe an injury reason. I, I can't remember what his situation is with Dallas at the moment. I know he's back and playing well for them. But it's DK, it's Sargent. If DK plays well, I think he he really gives himself a chance to be that starting number nine for the U.S. in World Cup qualifying in September. I, I think, Joe, you're very wise to temper expectations and remind both myself and listeners that if DK scores a hat trick against a Martinique team that like aren't at that same level, that's great, but it doesn't tell us as much. Yeah. That said... 
if he is scoring, strangely, I almost want to see him scoring tap-ins because yes, to me yes. that means he's making smart runs and being in the right place at the right time. And so how he moves, how he kind of pulls people out of position or is able to get himself into good scoring positions against teams that are going to be defensive, but that also, uh, to go back to the kind of lack of pressing, the sitting off a little bit, they will encourage the U.S. to be slow and static, and that is what they want them to be. Great, you've got all the time on the you've, you want on the ball. That if you're just holding it and holding it and playing it in and then dropping it off, that's not really threatening. But if the U.S. can kind of keep making those runs and keep trying different things to make the defense uncomfortable, that will tell me some things about how they're trying to play and what they're trying to do. It tells me how well Daryl DK, whomever it might be, can function within the overall system. So I think we can take some credit or some ideas away from that, but you're right. If it's just individual dribbling and then the square, that one doesn't mean quite as much to me. That said, a double hat trick, uh, I'd be fine with that. No problems there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm certainly not going to complain about six goals from DK in the first two games. But yeah, I mean, we've seen players in January camps, and this is kind of January camp-esque in certain ways. We've seen players come out and, and really perform well in games like that. And we just have to continue to pinch ourselves and remember, okay, this is not Mexico. This is not Mexico. This is not World Cup qualifying. And look at things through a more realistic prism. Now, all that said, Daryl DK for president, blah, blah, blah. You know, you get it. Yeah, I do. I do. But I also think, Joe, this is where we go back to the initial sort of two categories that you put the the absentee names into. It's just important to remember that here because I think like like the the main criticism I've seen, the sort of most common one would be the lack of Chris Mueller in this roster. I mentioned him earlier. Some some mentions for Caden Clark, but I believe is out due to an appendectomy. Yeah. Uh, and Berhalter did say he wanted to have Clark involved. So that one aside, it's probably Chris Mueller. But then let's say Chris Mueller has a good opening couple games. Is he going to be involved in World Cup qualifying? And if so, no. are the people who wanted him in this roster then going to be okay with him being involved in World Cup qualifying over some of the names we've mentioned, like, say, Joaquini? I don't know. And I think that's where Berhalter is trying to, to balance things. And so though it makes more sense to me to have natural wingers in those positions for these games – Simultaneously, if Mueller isn't going to be in the plans for World Cup qualifying, but some of these other players are, then it makes sense to have them in camp and see what they're capable of. And even if we learn, okay, Joaquini cannot be a winger, Hoppy can't be a winger, but in that one game where they came in and played as a number nine, he looks pretty good. Okay, so we know that now. Like, I think as long as it's building towards something, I'm not going to have that many problems. And that is sort of how I'm approaching this tournament as a whole. The U.S. just won the Nations League. They beat Mexico. Uh, That was very exciting. But also, for me, I think said that the program has come some distance. The players have bought into Burhalter's system. The celebrations with Burhalter throughout the Nations League, to me, felt like the team likes him. The team has a good sense of camaraderie. So then it's just how do we keep developing? How do we keep building? Even if the U.S. doesn't make the final or loses in the final, I still think for how experimental the team is, even if Burhalter doesn't want to use that term, I, I think I'm mostly just excited to see who rises to the occasion, who comes away from this one with everybody thinking like, yeah, that guy should be starting. That should be our number nine. He should be our left back. That one should be our other central midfielder. Like, I think I'm excited to see these little questions, these who's our second choice option or our third choice option questions get answered. Those are the types of things we need to know as World Cup qualifying comes around. We don't want to be in a situation where it's, we know we've got Tyler Adams if he's healthy. We know we've got Pulisic and Reyna. 
I hope we figure some stuff out. Like, I, th- I think the more questions we have at a nuanced and maybe like over the top level, I think the better prepared we will be. I totally agree. And if going back to omissions, kind of, if Chris Mueller is the biggest gripe that people have with this roster, yeah. this is a fine roster. You know, Chris Mueller hasn't really been doing all that much for Orlando this season. He hasn't been an every game starter for them. Uh, so I don't have any issue with him being off the roster. Cade Cowell is maybe one guy for the Earthquakes that I'm a little bit bummed about, but he he's probably not going to factor into World Cup qualifying anyway, like we're saying, Taylor. So I think this is a pretty solid roster for what this tournament is supposed to accomplish, unearthing a few players to fill out the first choice World Cup qualifying roster, and then also getting a look at some young players who might be able to fill into some of those spots too. So I, I think this is a strong group. I'm, I'm ready to be a little bit disappointed with an occasional lineup, and, and mostly, again, I'm thinking about Jackson Ewell. Yeah. But even that, like, I'm not, I'm not overly bothered about that. It's not the end of the world. It's a, it's a little bit of a bummer. But I'm excited to get a look at hopefully Eric Williamson and, and DK and Vines and a number of Miles Robinson, James Sands, Turner. There's so many players that I'm excited about that, that this opportunity to learn more about this group and answer some of those deeper, more nitty gritty questions that you're talking about, Taylor. I, I'm just, I'm infinitely more excited about this tournament than I am or pre, pre bummed about it, you know? Pre-bummed. I like that. Uh, this, hopefully what I'm about to say will end in some sort of coherent, uh, strung together idea, but we'll see. Uh, but, but mentioning Eric Williamson reminds me that I think this is a sort of similar roster conversation to what we had prior to Olympic qualifying with the argument that it is a weekend team. We don't have our first choice squad. Yes, you can make some complaints about some players not being there. And in that case, it was Eric Williamson and Jeremy Abobasi, uh, who also is not involved in this roster, obviously. Uh, and I think we came away from that one thinking like, yeah, but it should be okay. And it wasn't. And I think we both ended up sort of feeling like not that Eric Williamson would have made us qualify for the Olympics, but just that it still could have been a, a maybe more rigorous conversation to be had about some of the omissions. And I think the difference for me is that that is for Olympic qualifying. That's a qualifying tournament. And if you don't qualify, then you go back and look at those decisions through a more invasive focused lens versus here with the gold cup. When we knew what this team was going to be, we knew it wasn't going to be a lot of the nation's league players. We knew there were going to be senior team players not involved for rest or for finding new club reasons that I don't have as big of an issue when it comes to the roster, but I will say, and I think this will be my final point is that I think what I would like to maybe like re say in a better way is that like, I'm not going to be bummed if this team doesn't look great but I will be bummed if they don't perform well. So I'm not going to be mad if there are errant passes or players just aren't able to do the things that Pulisic or Reyna or McKinney or Adams can do. They're not those players. They're not playing for the clubs those players are playing for at the profile they are. These are players who are trying to prove that they should be the third choice option or the backup option, or even just maybe like down the road at some point be a backup option. And so It's how they rise to the occasion and how they're able to find results. If they crash out and don't look good at all and we come away from this with instead of it being we have a few minor questions having much bigger questions then there is pressure then i am concerned so it's not as though it's all sort of hey you know we'll see what happens it'll be fine no big no big worries it is kind of that until i do have those concerns but for now i'm mostly just optimistic and excited uh, and that will be my final point on the u.s roster for now hopefully we'll see what you say joe and then we'll see what i say back (laughs) well taylor i agree i agree with your point there do we want to run through a quick starting 11 of what we think Yeah, what we think Baralter will do, also mixed in with maybe what we're looking for in this tournament? 
Yeah, that works for me. I think okay. we've mostly done so already. I think I would like it to be Matt Turner, mostly because I can't say I watched a ton of New England Revolution games, and I would like to know why everyone who follows Major League Soccer loves Matt Turner. I watched him play for the Richmond Kickers, and I remember liking him very much and remember him being a good leader, commanding the box presence. I remember him saving a penalty that he had no business saving because it was so well struck. So I like those things, but how he does that at national team level, I will be curious to see. And then uh, Vines I had as my starting left back, Reggie Cannon at right back, Robinson and Zimmerman as my center backs. Any disagreement so far, Joe? No, yeah, that's that's spot on. We're five for five so far, Taylor. All right. And I do really want to see the positional battle with George Bello pushing Sam Vines because I think Vines has proven himself to be a capable attacking left back. But also, as we've seen on a number of occasions, both at club level and internationally, Luke Shaw would be a prime prime example of when you have somebody behind you reminding you that, hey, you got to perform really, really well. Otherwise, then that helps you elevate. So how those two kind of battle it out. And if they become friendly rivals, I would be fine with it. Uh, moving ahead, I have it as a midfield three of Legette, Roldan and Kellen Acosta as my three starters. Joe, what about you? I've got Legette Williamson and Acosta, so just the, mm. the Roldan-Williamson difference there. And I, I think I'm still expecting it to be Jackson Ewell at the six if it's a three-man midfield. If if the shape changes, because we're building this in a 4-3-3, if it does look more like a 3-4-3 at times, I'd like to see James Sands in the back line as one of the three center backs. And then Acosta and Legette or Acosta and Williamson, maybe, maybe Busio in one of those two spots in the double pivot. But that's just kind of a minor tweak. It doesn't change all that much in terms of how we're building this eleven. All right. And then up top, uh, it mostly constructs itself, at least in terms of who we think will start. Jonathan Lewis on the left, Paul Ariola on the right, and I have Daryl DK as my starting number nine. Yes, sir. Same here. All right. So we will see if we are correct uh, against Haiti, July 11th. That would be Sunday. That would be after the Euro final. I think our plan <laughs> is to record our review. Then Joe and I will watch the Haiti game, maybe do a quick take hot take, but definitely do an in-depth review of that one. Joe, let's talk about Haiti for a moment. We didn't know it was going to be Haiti. Uh, it was a team that qualifies for a while. Uh, and now we know it's going to be Haiti. How did they get here? So they beat St. Vincent and the Grenadines 6-1 to and then Bermuda 4-1 to in a playoff to get here. So that's why it was that TBD team in the U.S.'s group for that first group stage game, which has got to be such a weird thing as a staff trying to prepare your players. You don't know. If it's the third game in the group, okay, fine. We can prep for that later. But you want to get in and watch these teams. And, and so did, did Peralter and company have to watch film of four Caribbean. I don't. I don't know what what the process was for that. But it's Haiti. They got here from a playoff, and now they're the U.S.'s opponent on Sunday. And how much do you think we can take away from those games? Because my perspective was to look more at the Canada games. They also had a one 0 win over uh, Nicaragua recently with Daryl Etienne scoring. Uh, those were the games that I focused on a bit more, just because. I didn't see uh, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, no disrespect, but I didn't see them as being a good indicator of how Haiti will line up against the United States. Haiti in those games obviously expected to have more of the ball, more opportunities, and obviously more more goal-scoring ability than, say, they will against the U.S. So, Joe, do you think we can take much away from those wins over Bermuda and St. Vincent, or should we be looking at maybe the Canada games to give us a more reliable indicator of what Haiti will do? Yeah, the Canada games are definitely a better thing to look towards. So Canada beat Haiti 4 nothing over two legs in World Cup mm. qualifying recently. So that gives you an idea 
of the relative level of two of the U.S.'s group stage opponents. Canada, the stronger team, certainly from a talent perspective, and they got those two results back in World Cup qualifying recently. But certainly better to look at Haiti's shape and how they performed in those games and what they tried to do. Taylor, you've mentioned some of it already. What else did you see from them, maybe in terms of attacking shape, defensive shape, and, and any other principles that you want to toss in there? Sure. So uh, in the second leg against Canada, Haiti lost 1-0 at home in the first leg. Against Canada, I think they tried to be slightly more attacking in the second leg and were doing well right up until uh, uh, Duvier. Is that how you say his name? The goalkeeper? I think we should, I think we should go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, either way, their goalkeeper uh, <laughs> had the sort of whiff, then the whiff again, and then the ball oh. rolled into his own net. And from there, they sort of fell apart because when you concede that type of goal and now you're 2-0 down, you have to score three. It, it never feels that possible, and they end up conceding two more. And we should note that he is uh, their only goalkeeper with a cap so far, uh, Josué Duverger. Duverger? Uh, my pronunciation is terrible because I don't speak French, but he is 21 years old, their only goalkeeper with a cap. Uh, Johnny Placide, their captain and normal starter uh, with 56 caps, is not involved. That had been because of COVID protocols. I'm assuming that's still the case, but I'm surprised he's not here. Uh, so I would say that is going to make Haiti a little bit nervous. I think the basic thing I saw from them was a back four for sure. And then various looks to that, either in a 4-1-4-1, a 4-3-3, sometimes a 4-4-2. I think there can be different permutations based on the opponent, but I would say a back four and a fairly defensive shape is what I would expect with maybe a more like pacey uh, outlet and maybe a more physical outlet as the sort of attacking threats, one to sort of do the layoff hold-up work, one to keep the U.S. backline honest, and I think it will likely be uh, Duckins Nazan as one of those forward. Uh, 23 goals for Haiti uh, in 44 caps. And then uh, Francie Pierrot is one that I'm less familiar with, and I will say that name again because when it's uh, French, I tend to say it fast, so I don't have to dwell on it, but it's Francie Pierrot, P-I-E-R-R-O-T. Uh, he has been their more recent starter and goal-scoring threat, and I think he will be a player they look to build around when it comes to their attack. And then Derek Etienne Jr. would be the other one, the known player playing for Columbus, listed as a midfielder, and he may well be that sort of wide left-mid-left winger, but I also won't be surprised if he is more involved when they do have attacking opportunities. Yeah, I highlighted Piero and Etienne as, as two players to watch for sure from Haiti in this in this competition. Piero is six foot four. He plays in Ligue 2 in France, and he scored a hat trick against Bermuda in their last game. That was a four one win. Which again, don't want to read too much into that, but still, he's a presence up top, especially at six foot four. Like I said, he's a big guy and can cause problems for really any team in this tournament. The only other thing, Taylor, that I wanted to mention on Haiti is a part of their defensive approach. We were discussing it briefly before we started recording, but from what I've seen of them, they tend to defend pretty man-orientedly. That's yep. not a that's not a term, but it's not full-on man marking, but it's not full-on zonal marking either. So if a player, let's say they're in a 4-4-2, if an if an if an offensive player, excuse me, steps into central midfield. Maybe a central midfielder for Haiti will step with them. Or if they're, if there's an attacking midfielder for the other team in front of the center backs, maybe a center back will step. The idea is that you try to pressure a man while still roughly staying in your zone. And that can be effective because it leads to a lot of on-ball pressure, but it can also be exposed and exploited with good off-ball movement. So I'm curious to see how the U.S. tries to manipulate that man-oriented defensive approach from Haiti in this first group stage game. 
Yep, and that extends to their set-piece defense, especially on corners. They are heavily man-oriented, which Canada, it seems like, tried to exploit by either going near post and flicked on or far post and headed back across because when that happens, if you are man-marking, if I'm man-marking Joe and the ball goes over my head, I'm going to turn to sort of pay attention to what's happening and Joe can then scramble to the back post and be wide open. So I would say the U.S. has opportunities there on set pieces and certainly will have them from open play. Again, if we see that movement, if we see that dedicated uh, intent on pulling Haiti apart and opening up opportunities for other players. Um, and I will say uh, Duverger is how I'm going to try the pronunciation one more time with the goalkeeper. Uh, he has that high profile error and he seems to me from the limited, limited amount I have seen from him as a goalkeeper who is the type to you don't really want them with time on the ball if you're Haiti, but if you have a Ford bursting through and getting a shot off, that's where he seems to shine. He seems very good with his positioning and with his sort of reflex saves. He kept Canada, um, I shouldn't say honest, but I will say uh, goalless because he makes like a triple save at one point. He's off his line quickly to collect and I think has the ability to do a very good kind of standing on his head performance if he is, if basically if he gets shelled, I think he'll pull out some saves that maybe the U.S. won't have expected or fans won't have expected. So he can be a good performer. I don't want that one howler to shine too brightly. Um, but I think that there's just an inexperience in the areas that the United States can certainly exploit, this isn't a Haiti team that has just a massive amount of caps together. You have players who have 30 and well, you have one player who has 40 caps. I was going to say 30 and 40. Uh, but I think so you have some veterans there, but you don't have this team that's played together 15 times consecutively and they know how they're going to play. They know their exact shape. I think we've seen experimentation and we've seen Kevin LaFrance, uh, their main center back be a center back, but also be a number six on occasion or pop out on a midfield. We've seen him, like other players fill in. I've seen Steven Saba be a midfielder, but occasionally be a defender if the situation requires. So I think it's a team that can uh, spring some surprises, but simultaneously shouldn't pose major threats to the United States. So it's then about how the United States finds ways through and creates opportunities. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty fun game and it could be five nil and it could be one nil and neither would surprise me that much. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just excited. I think that's been, hopefully it's been a theme throughout this episode for listeners to pick up on, but it's a real competitive U.S. game that we get to learn about some of these players. We'll get to see more of Haiti, which I'm excited about because there's some players to watch in that group as well. It's a chance for the U.S. to prove that they can create chances against a team that's likely going to be more compact than not. And that's another important data point as we march towards the end of this year and then hopefully uh, the the fall winter of 2022 where there's that uh, that little tournament happening. Taylor, I don't know if you've heard about it, but uh, the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard about it once or twice. Okay, and I, and I think my final note on this one would just be that, like, though this might seem harsh to the U.S. players that are there, I think of it as why high school coaches are going to pay attention to the JV game because do are you necessarily like thrilled when you see uh, like your JV attacker score five goals against an opponent? Like, does it have that big of an impact on this on the varsity team? No, you're still going to start your your varsity players, but you want to know that player can do that for if the striker can't go, if you are shorthanded or the player has too much homework and can't be there if it's high school, uh, then you know that JV player is capable of at least scoring goals. And I think that is how we can see this is that 
that we're not going to see so many players come out of this with Matt Turner's definitely starting over Zach Steffen or Paul Areola is definitely our right winger, but we can feel good about Paul Areola getting a really clever assist or making really smart runs that just cause massive headaches or Jonathan Lewis even doing the same thing. Like, I think we can have players raise their sort of overall standing in a lot of fans' minds. And I think there is something to be said for that because it gives us peace of mind later on. The, again, the fewer question marks we have, the fewer big question marks we have about the, the roster and the squad and the depth as we move towards World Cup qualifying, the better. So uh, all that to say, Joe, I also am very, very excited about this one. Any other things to add before we call this game and this uh, U.S. roster previewed? I don't think so, Taylor. It was both fun and weird to be talking about something non-Euro related on this yeah. show, but it felt good, and it's it's good to talk about the U.S. again, and it's even better to be doing that talking with you. It is indeed, my friend. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with our team of the Euros, uh, our four Regular co-hosts will be together, uh, each of us giving our sort of uh, starting 11s from the Euros thus far. We'll probably have a good amount of overlap, but there might be some outliers in there. And then we've got Allocation Disorder. We've got a Soccer 101 episode. And then, of course, we will have the Euro final review show and the USA Haiti review show. So just as things start to calm down, we stay incredibly busy, Joe. <laughs> there's, no, there's no such thing as, as calmed no. down soccer time. Taylor. I've you enjoyed it. Come on. I do. I've enjoyed like going to like like family functions here and there when I can throughout the Euros or just like doing different things socially because uh, it's important to not just sit and stare at a screen all day. <laughs> and I get people saying like, oh, but at least it's the, you know, but then you'll have the off season. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> this is the off season. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> then the season starts and previewing begins all over again. So, Joe, I guess it's important to take the time we can while we can. So let's stop talking. Let's call this one a day. Joe Lowry, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. Right back at you, Taylor. And listeners, thank you all for sticking with us through this one and through the summer so far and the summer still to come. We will talk to you all again very soon. Bye.